Hey everybody, welcome to Off The Shelves. So, this is an episode that I've only done once. I did it on my audio podcast and now I'm finally bringing it to my YouTube channel. This is basically a Blu-ray haul slash mini review episode. I talk about all the movies that have come out on Blu-ray and DVD over like the past month. I'll try to make this a bi-monthly episode, but it really just depends on how much comes out. Some months are really heavy, some months maybe four or five things come out that I might be interested in talking about. So, this week, Got a pretty decent haul. Uh, I'm going to start off talking about the movies, and then I'll talk about the TV shows. Now, before I get started, guys, I will say that I'm going to keep this pretty spoiler-free. If I do go into spoilers, I will warn you beforehand before I start talking about it. But when I go into some of the TV seasons, if you have not gotten caught up on any of these shows and you plan on getting caught up on these shows please just go ahead and skip to the next season or the next show that I'm talking about because I'd hate to spoil some of these seasons for you. I will be talking about the storylines of these seasons and I might give away a few of the plot details. So I'd hate for somebody to be on season two and I'm talking about season four. So just like I said, there's going to be pretty spoiler free, but when I talk about the TV seasons, you might want to be forewarned that I might be getting into some things that you might not want to know. Also keep in mind, guys, while I'm going over these, I do give a rating, and this is going to be very similar to my rating system on my movie reviews. It's just kind of scaled down a bit. There's only three ratings on my Off the Shelves episodes. There's Buy It, See It on Netflix, and Skip It. Now, the first two movies, I don't have the physical Blu-ray to show you because I watched these on demand and I did not enjoy them. So I guess go ahead and let you know these next two are going to be skip it but uh, I don't have the physical blu-ray because I didn't like it I didn't want to buy it the first one is Batman the Killing Joke now I was looking forward to this movie for a very long time I love the comic the Killing Joke it's one of my favorite Batman comics it was the first one that I ever read in its entirety when I started getting into comics it's one of Batman's best comic book stories it's one of Joker's best stories it's kind of become canon as far as Joker's you know his origin and when I heard they were making an animated version of this, I was very excited because I love what DC does on their animated side. And seeing this come to life, being that they were going to make it R-rated, they were going to keep it you know, to the source material. And Mark Hamill was coming back to voice the Joker. And Kevin Conroy, uh, Conroy was coming back to, to voice Batman. They're the voices from the animated series and also the Batman Arkham games. Very excited. And when I first watched this movie, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Because the first half of this movie is basically this... Hand, um, this brand new side story with Batgirl kind of showing Batman and Batgirl Robin's not around I guess and showing kind of her rebellious side where she wants more authority and Batman won't let her do certain things and they end up fucking on a rooftop and I mean it, everybody's heard about this scene so this isn't really a big spoiler they end up fucking on a rooftop and they start this introducing this weird storyline with this criminal that's obsessed with Batgirl and then the movie literally stops and then the killing joke starts. And had they found a beginning that would actually tie into the killing joke, or if they found a way to make that story relevant to the killing joke, it would have worked halfway decent, other than that being a very weird departure for those characters. But it made absolutely no sense and no connective tissue whatsoever to the story of the killing joke. Its only purpose was to flesh out Batgirl for 45 minutes so that when the events that happened in the killing joke occur you actually feel more for Batgirl not that you would have felt for anyway whenever the events come through because it's pretty gripping but I didn't like it I didn't like the way that they blew like I, I, half the movie was good half the movie was bad and I didn't like the way that they shot the ending to the movie either because the ending to the killing joke is one of the most debated endings in comics ever 
you know, back and forth on whether or not the way that the storyline between Joker and Batman ends. I'm not going to spoil that side of it because if you haven't read the book, you should definitely read the comic. And if you do watch this, I'm not going to spoil the good half of the movie. So I don't like the way that they made the ending a lot less ambiguous. They kind of made it more definitive. So skip the Batman killing joke. It was not good at all. Next up is Keanu. Now this is a Key and Peele movie, and I have not ever really seen a whole lot of Key and Peele's comic sketches. I know they're very popular guys. I know that they're pretty much known for being able to do a lot of different people and a lot of different characters in their sketch comedy, and that comes through in this movie. The story of this movie is basically you got Key and Peele. Uh, Peele, I believe, is the one. He, he breaks up with his girlfriend. He's very depressed. He gets this little cute kitten, and it's the cutest kitten in the damn world and he shows up on his doorstep he takes in this kitten and then shortly after this cat goes missing and they basically go on the run trying to get this cat back from drug dealers and kingpins all this kind of stuff and there was a few jokes that landed i thought the first time that they you know kind of introduced the whole joke with a gangster listening to george michael i thought that was kind of funny but it's one of those movies where it's literally a comedy sketch that's stretched over a 90 minute runtime and the laughs do not keep their momentum throughout the movie. So skip this one. I didn't think it was very funny. So starting this off is Clown. Now Clown is a movie that I had seen a lot of advertisement for on Facebook. I had never heard of it before this. I heard a little bit about it on Collider, Collider Nightmares, stuff like that. So I gave this a shot. I'm not one to give horror movies a shot if I haven't heard of it or if I don't have a lot of people telling me to check it out. So this was a gamble. And this was a gamble that did not pay off. <laughs> this movie was terrible. You know, this was directed by John Watts. This is the guy who directed Cop Car. He got a lot of recognition for Cop Car. I didn't think Cop Car was all that great of a movie. And he's also the guy who's going to be directing Spider-Man Homecoming. Now that Cop Car didn't impress me, and this really didn't impress me, I'm a little bit worried about Spider-Man Homecoming. Basically this movie, to get into this, a guy finds a clown suit, comes home to his son's birthday party wearing the clown suit to surprise him, wakes up in the morning, cannot take the clown suit off, and the clown suit slowly starts adhering to his skin and turning him into this kind of bloodthirsty monster. It starts off intriguing enough but it doesn't really do anything with its premise. It's not scary. It's not suspenseful. It wasn't really intriguing past the 15 minute mark. It just gets kind of goofy. The effects weren't all that great. When he actually does turn into a monster, it doesn't look all that impressive. It's not scary to me. The only actor who actually does anything that's worth noting in this movie is Peter Stormare. We all recognize him from Armageddon, Fargo. He's got a decent sized role in this. Um, Spoiler warning if you are interested in seeing this movie, but the ending did not make any sense to me because basically they figure out that the only way to get the clown suit off is you have to, at some point from him getting the clown suit on to now, you have to sacrifice five children. So when Peter Stormare had the, set, the, the suit on, his brother sacrificed five children and got him out of the suit. Well, he goes on an eating rampage and kills four kids and eats them and then the wife is trying to get the husband back and she's like, what do I gotta do? And he goes, oh, just bring me one more child and I'll give you your husband back. And it makes absolutely no sense. You, he just devoured four kids without even trying. Why would you even put yourself in a position to get screwed over, to get killed, to get one more kid when you could easily walk across the street and just take another one? So it just, this movie didn't make any sense to me. I did not enjoy it at all. Skip this one. Now we're moving on to one of my favorite movies of all time. 
that is finally on Blu-ray. If you guys have not seen Midnight Run, go out and get Midnight Run because this is one of the best damn comedies that a lot of people have not seen and a lot of people don't talk about and a lot of people don't give the credit it deserves. This is Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Everybody knows Charles Grodin from the Beethoven movies. Uh, Robert De Niro is basically this hard-ass bounty hunter and Charles Grodin is this accountant who stole a bunch of money from the mob and went into hiding. So the guy that Robert De Niro works for sends him on a midnight run, which is supposed to be like, it's like the bounty hunter's term for like an easy gig, sends him on a midnight run to go pick up Charles Grodin and bring him back so that he doesn't lose all his bail bond money. And it's a road trip movie. There's mob coming after him. There's cops coming after him. There's the FBI coming after him. This movie is absolutely hilarious. It's Robert De Niro's best comedy. I love Meet the Parents, but this is his best comedy. Even over Analyze This, Charles Grodin is great. It's no wonder why he got movies like um, Beethoven and everything like that after this, because he's hilarious in this. There's nothing more I can say that's great about this movie. You know, for those of you who listen to my podcast on my top five comedies with my buddy Abbott, this was my number three, I believe. This is probably in my top five favorite movies of all time, and it's finally on Blu-ray with these little Shout Select from Shout Factory. So go pick out Midnight Run if you haven't seen it. This is an absolute buy. Next up after that is a movie that I grew up watching that is also finally on Blu-ray. Not quite as close to my heart as Midnight Run, but pretty damn high up there. And that's The Great Outdoors. Now, The Great Outdoors is John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. And it's basically a movie based around John, um, John Candy and his family goes out to this, uh, this Lake Michigan, I believe. I'm pretty sure it's in Michigan. They go out to this lake and there's supposed to be like a family getaway and Dan Aykroyd is his brother-in-law and Dan Aykroyd brings his family along uninvited and the whole movie is basically about them butting heads because one is this rich slick you know um, stock investor who's real sly and quick to tongue and John Candy's a very old school guy and he's trying to get some you know some good alone time with his family and this movie is absolutely hilarious this is one of my favorite comedies um, there's a lot of great back and forth between these two. There's some classic scenes in here involving a grizzly bear. There's a classic scene involving some jet skis on the, um, or some, uh, some water skis on the lake. Great comedy. This was originally just going to be a Best Buy exclusive, but it should be on Amazon now as well. So this is an absolute buy if you haven't had this or if you've never seen this. Please go pick up The Great Outdoors. It's a classic. Coming up after that was a movie that came out the same time as The Great Outdoors as far as this little Best Buy Blu-ray, um, little classic Blu-ray haul that they had. But I actually have never seen this before, but I picked it up because I had always heard about it. I've always seen the posters of it, and I've always been intrigued by this movie, and that's The Burbs. Now, The Burbs is basically a black comedy starring Tom Hanks. you got this suburban cul-de-sac, and there's one house on this cul-de-sac that is basically really creepy everybody thinks that the people who live there are really weird they think they're up to no good and Tom Hanks and some of the people who live in this cul-de-sac decide to start investigating this family and that's basically what the movie's about uh, there's some really good scenes in here as far as some comedy it's a very you know by definition black comedy this is like halfway to a horror movie and it was kind of unexpected for me I thought this was gonna be more along the lines of like big or Turner and Hooch as far as you know the old Tom Hanks comedies but this is a pretty big uh, departure for him back in the day but I enjoyed this a lot it wasn't something that I think if I watched it when I was a kid it would have been hailed as much as the other two that I just mentioned I did enjoy it though so I'm actually I'm gonna give this a see it on Netflix 
Um, like I said, I liked it. I'm glad I bought it. It was a cheap buy. This isn't something that I would tell everybody to rush out and see, though, if you've never seen it. So The Birds was pretty good. Check it out on Netflix. Coming up after that is a movie that I have talked about a few times on this channel. It just went up on my top five movies of the summer. This was my number two, The Nice Guys. Now, The Nice Guys is a movie directed and written by Shane Black, which is one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite directors. His comedy just works for me. I just love that guy's writing. Uh, this stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. They're basically, Russell Crowe is like a, a muscle you know, like a mob muscle, and Ryan Gosling is a private investigator who's kind of a dumbass. And they both stumble upon this case where this girl ends up getting killed and there's another girl who's missing. And they're basically working together and against each other kind of at the same time trying to solve this while they have a couple of mob people after them. Uh, this involves like the porn industry in the 70s. This is a great movie. This is one of Shane Black's best movies. This is the most underseen movie of the summer. Next to Hell or High Water, which I'm going to be going to see this weekend. I'm making it happen. But um, this was a very underrated, or a very underseen movie this summer, but it's an absolute classic. I love this. Definitely go out and buy this if you haven't seen it. I can't say anything more than I've already said about the nice guys, so go out and buy this. Next up is a movie that is definitely for kids. This is a movie that is going to be a very specific audience, and not everybody's going to like this, but if you are part of that audience, you're going to enjoy it very much, and that's Ratchet and Clank. Now, I've never been a huge Ratchet and Clank fan. Not that I don't like the games, it's just one of those platformers that I kind of just missed when I was young. I played the game that went along with this movie, because they released a PS4, and I think it was on Xbox One as well. They released a new version of Ratchet and Clank that followed the story of the movie, so they kind of, they released in theaters and released the game about the same time. So this movie is basically a collection of the cutscenes of the game with some more scenes in between. Now, does it work? Yes and no. It is funny if you're a younger audience, like my kids love this, and I enjoyed it very much because I played the game. But if you walk into this never having played the games and having no idea what Ratchet and Clank is, this is not going to be something that you're going to walk away loving because a lot of the charm and a lot of the fun of Ratchet and Clank is in playing the game and a lot of the in-game humor, not necessarily the stuff in the cutscene. So this is a very good buy if you're a Ratchet and Clank fanatic or if you have young kids. So I'm going to say see this on Netflix because I do think it's good, but it's not for everybody. But Ratchet and Clank, check it out if you can. Uh, it should be on Netflix at some point. So. Ratchet and Clank seat on Netflix. Next up is a movie that when I first heard it announced, I expected absolutely nothing from, and this is one of the best movies of the year by far, and that's John Favreau's The Jungle Book. This movie is unbelievable. It follows the storyline and the characters of the classic Jungle Book that we all know and love, the old cartoon from Disney, and this movie was shot entirely on a green screen in a studio. And the graphics and the special effects in this movie are mind-blowing. You have a hard time believing that this is not a real damn jungle and a real tiger, a real bear, a real snake. The graphics and the special effects in this movie are unprecedented. This is probably the most technologically advanced movie that's ever been put to screen. This is a great, great movie. I took my kids to go see this with Holly. We loved every minute of it. It's got a lot of the classic songs that you know and love from the Disney movie. You've got voice acting that is remarkable. You know, the little boy who's in this is very, very good. 
Um, I don't remember his name. His name is... Oh, God. It doesn't even have his name on here. Wow. So, anyway, the little boy is very good, whatever his name is. But the voice acting, you got Bill Murray, who's playing Baloo, who initially I thought was just slapping Bill Murray's name on there, but he plays Baloo perfectly. You've got Scarlett Johansson playing Ka. You've got um, Sher Khan is played by Idris Elba, who's one of the best voices for villains ever. He does phenomenal as Sher Khan. You have my favorite. You got Christopher Walken as King Louie. And this movie was just, I was smiling ear to ear the whole time I was watching this. This is a blast to see with your family. If you just grew up loving the old Jungle Book, this is going to be a blast for you. Hearing the old songs come out of like Bill Murray and Christopher Walken's mouth. Like when Christopher Walken said, Ooby Doo, and started that whole song, me and Holly were just like, yes, this is awesome. So the Jungle Book is probably going to be in my top 10 movies of the year. This is a phenomenal movie. Absolutely going by this. All right, so we got two more movies. This one I had not really heard about. And this has been out for a while, but I wanted to include it because I have a lot to say about this movie. You got Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. This is the most mismarketed movie I have seen in a long fucking time. The front cover, Tina Fey will make you laugh till it hurts from Peter Travers from the Rolling Stone. You got the back, Tina Fey shines in this wickedly entertaining comedy. This is not a comedy. This is a war drama with a few jokes sprinkled in and not very funny jokes at that. This is not a comedy. Do not pick this movie up thinking that you are going to be laughing with your friends and your family. This is a dark movie. This is a somber movie. This is a slow, dialogue-heavy drama. This is about as much of a comedy as Jarhead is as much of a comedy. And Jarhead is funnier. So, if you could tell by my tone, this is going to be a skip it. But I was pissed when the, by the time I got through this movie because I was I put this on because I was in the mood to laugh. I bought this a while ago and just hadn't gotten up to watching it yet because I like Tina Fey here and there. I'm not somebody that loves everything that she does. But this movie just pissed me off with the misdirection because from the very opening scene, I could tell, I said, maybe this is going to be like a dark comedy. And this is not a comedy. This is a drama. So skip this if you're expecting a comedy. If you were a Tina Fey fanatic, you're probably going to see this regardless. Just know going into this what this is. Do not be misdirected by all the shit on this cover because, like I said, the most mismarketed movie I've seen in a very long time. So skip this. Now moving on to a movie that, again, I expected absolutely nothing from. I saw the trailer for this movie and I thought the trailer gave away a lot of the movie. It seemed like a storyline that I had seen, a storyline setup that I had seen a lot of times and I didn't really know what they were going to be doing different with it. And it starred actors that though I do like, I don't like everything that they do. Money Monster. This movie is actually pretty damn good. Uh, it basically it tells a story of you've got George Clooney's kind of like this stock market TV personality. He's kind of a cocky dickhead. He comes out doing like hip hop music and everything like that. Julia Roberts is basically the manager of the show. She's, you know, the one in the earpiece in the back room telling him what to say, what camera to look at, everything like that. And you've got this guy, Jack O'Connell, who I've never seen anything from, I don't believe. And Jack O'Connell comes into the show while it's airing live, pulls out a gun, puts a bomb vest on George Clooney, and says that he's going to blow George Clooney up and start shooting people. 
if they don't tell him what happened with this big, huge stock crash in this company that happened. Basically, this company loses $800 million worth of stocks overnight and they blame it on a computer glitch and everybody's just supposed to go away and take their losses. And this guy is not taking no for an answer. He wants an explanation. This is directed by Jodie Foster. I think this is her second movie because I think she directed a movie called The Beaver and I'm pretty sure that was her first movie that she directed, which I have not seen. Uh, like I said, yes, this is kind of a similar setup to a lot of movies. You know, a hostage situation because the guy's pissed off, he wants an answer. But what brings this above and beyond a lot of those movies is the performances. George Clooney's a guy that I like a lot, but I don't like a lot of his movies. He is damn good in this at playing this cocky, arrogant dickhead who kind of grows as a character throughout the movie because he's moved by this guy's passion to defend himself when nobody else will. And you've got Julia Roberts, who's somebody that I, again, I like a lot, but I don't like everything that she does. She's also very good in this, playing somebody who kind of, you can tell cares a lot about George Clooney, but is also kind of like the that person who, kind of like the one that got away, in a way. And even though you've got two world-class actors like George Clooney and Julia Roberts, who have been in the Hollywood limelight for years, the standout of this movie is Jack O'Connell. This dude is awesome in this. I've never seen him in a movie before, but he is the reason why I was glued to the screen watching this. He is a kick-ass actor, and God, this guy needs to do some more work. You know, like I said, if he's been in a few movies before, I've never really heard of him, so he must not have done anything that is really big, but if this is his first or second major role, thank you, Jodie Foster, for bringing this guy into this movie, because he is your strong point in this. He delivers the best performance of this movie, and even though the ending is not going to please everybody because it's a lot of subtext. You know, this, there's a lot of subtext and kind of a, an underlying message here about people just kind of accepting everything nowadays. Like, you know, a big stock market company just takes all your money away and people don't really do anything about it. You know, you got people on TV that run their mouth or, you know, some of the presidential campaigns doing things and a lot of people just sit around and just, eh, whatever. So that's kind of the underlying message of this. To me, that's what I got out of it, is that people don't stand up enough and um, kind of take charge and voice their opinions enough and stand up for what's right. That's kind of the, the basic underlying message at the end. So this is an absolute buy for me. This is a movie that I expected nothing from. Totally floated it under my radar. I didn't hear anybody raving about this movie, but this was actually pretty damn good. Um, so definitely go out and buy Money Monster. This is a, a damn good movie. Now we're moving on to TV, guys. So, this is a show that <laughs> I have no idea how it got made, but I'm so glad it did. You got Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 1. Now, this is basically a Stars TV show. They're half an hour episodes. There's 10 episodes. It's very easy to get through this season. And this is a direct continuation somewhat of Evil Dead 2. It does... It doesn't like retcon Army of Darkness, but there's not really anything mentioned about Army of Darkness. This is basically, if you just watch Evil Dead 1 and 2, you're not gonna miss anything if you just pop this in after that. So this picks up years later. This has got Ash in his middle-aged years, and in this drunken night, he reads from the Necronomicon again, unleashes Deadites, and it's basically what you know and love if you're a fan of Evil Dead 1 and 2. It's that splat stick, you know, extreme gore, goofy humor, Bruce Campbell one-liners. That, that's 100% what this show is. So this is 
100% for Evil Dead fans and Evil Dead fans only. If you do not like the Evil Dead movies, if you don't get them, or if you just, you know, they're not your cup of tea, then this is not going to be your cup of tea because this is exactly what the Evil Dead movies are. So this is an absolute blast of a show. Like I said, half an hour episodes, they're very easy to digest. You just put on one or two of them and you just sit back and enjoy it. The gore is extreme. The humor is hilarious that, um, for the most part. The... Um, a lot of the callbacks to the old movies are great for fans. There's a lot of like Lucy Lawless shows up. She's a pretty badass character. I love this show. You know, I, I was not a Evil Dead fan growing up. I grew to love them as I got older. I'm, Army of Darkness is my favorite, so I kind of hope they get back to acknowledging that at least in season two. But this is an absolute buy, especially if you're a fan of Evil Dead. This is a blast. So go out and buy Ash vs. Evil Dead season one. Now, something that I forgot to say in the introduction is that every time I do one of these off-the-shelves shows, I'm going to be having my pick of the month. So this is, out of the entire haul, if you're going to buy one thing, this is what you need to go out and buy. And this next title is Undisputed, my pick of the month, 112263. Now this is a short little mini-series that came out on Hulu, starring James Franco. It's based off a Stephen King novel. And basically this tells the story of, you know, you got Chris Cooper in a small role in this where he's this diner owner. You know, this takes place in modern times at the beginning. And James Franco comes in and notices that this guy ages like five years and a couple of minutes. And he, you know, this is just the very beginning of the show, so I'm not spoiling anything. So he basically gets him to spill the beans and Chris Cooper says, hey, I've got this time portal in the back of my diner. If you walk into it, it takes you back to the year 1958, I believe. Maybe it's 1959, but it takes you to a very specific day, time, minute, second in 1958. And he says, you know, if you, you could stay as long as you want, when you go back through the time portal, all the changes that you made in the past become your present but if you go back into the time portal everything retcons and you start over again you get sent back to that same moment in 1958 and you can start over and it basically deletes all the changes that you made and chris cooper has been over the years concocting this plan to prevent jfk's murder and his reasoning is that if jfk had remained president a lot of the tragedies that befell us from 1963 until now, like 9-11 and Vietnam War, would not have happened and we would be a much better world. So he comes back and he basically enlists James Franco with continuing on this mission. So James Franco goes back and over this, I believe it was eight episodes, over this eight episode series is trying to prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now, a lot of people give James Franco shit. And I think a lot of that is because he kind of has this dual personality. He has like the serious actor, like 127 hours like this and a couple other things. And then he has that kind of douchebag, stoner, sleazy guy personality that he has in a lot of the Seth Rogen movies and a lot of his comedies and, you know, like his roast and everything. He's a very odd guy, but I love him as an actor. And this, regardless of what anybody is saying, is the best work that he has ever done. He is emotional in this. He is serious whenever there's like scenes where he has to get in somebody's face, you believe that he's gonna kick the shit out of them. He is funny, he's charming. 
I love James Franco, and this is the best that he's ever done. He is one of the main reasons why this damn miniseries is so good. I love this from beginning to end. Like I, I'm an absolute sucker for time travel, and this is one of the best time travel stories that I have ever experienced. You know, they got, um, first of all, just the time period you get sent back to. The 50s and the 60s just have a charm all on their own. It's just like Back to the Future when they go back to 1955. That whole era just has its charm and you just love experiencing it. There's some scary moments in this. There's some very dark stuff that goes on. This is a rated R. I mean, this is Hulu. So this is a rated R series. And his girlfriend, which I cannot remember her name, to save my life. What is her name? Because she is also amazing. Sarah Gaydon. Sarah Gaydon plays his love interest in this, and this woman is like the new Marilyn Monroe. She is absolutely gorgeous. Her smile, like I'm not, her smile is damn near like intoxicating. So you have part love story, you have part horror, you have part time travel sci-fi, and it all meshes beautifully. And the way this ends, I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but the way it ends is absolutely perfect. When I was watching the finale of this series, there's a few things that happened. I was like, oh crap. I was hoping it wasn't going to go that direction. Now I know exactly how this is going to end. And it took a left turn. I'm like, oh crap. I wasn't expecting that. Then it took another turn. It took another turn. And the note that it ends on and the scene that it ends on is just beautiful. In one word, it's beautiful. So this is my pick of the month, guys. This is an absolutely phenomenal series. It's eight episodes. It's easy to, you could binge this in a long weekend. And this is one of the best time travel stories, James Franco's best work, and absolutely, like I said, my pick of the month. So go out and buy this today. Coming up next is on the opposite spectrum of that, The Walking Dead Season 6. Now, for those that followed me on my audio podcast when I did my very long Comic-Con recap episode, when I was going over like the Season 7 trailer, you heard me rant about this season for quite a while. And I'm gonna try to keep that rant contained for here, but I'm also going to make sure I put my point out there for those who have just now started following me. This show has an absolute, by definition, love-hate relationship is for me. I started watching this show and I loved it. And somewhere in the middle of season three, my interest in this started to decline. Especially after that finale where we didn't even get this whole, you know, confrontation with the governor that was basically teased to us the whole season and season four i didn't think was very good season five started off very good and then got really weird throughout the middle and ended really good this season the first half bored the living shit out of me the only episode that i liked was the morgan episode which a lot of people didn't even like this whole storyline of trying to get rid of this herd bored me to tears and the mid-season finale was absolutely horrible horrible then it comes back and this is what pisses me off about this show is that it'll piss me off to the point where I don't want to watch it anymore and then it'll come back with this kick-ass episode and gain me again. So it comes back in the mid-season with this awesome mid-season um, mid premiere and it gets me back and then the whole last half of this season which there was parts in the first uh, half of this season that started teasing it but the basic, basically the back half of this season is just setting up and teasing the arrival of Negan who is the biggest foe that these characters ever fight um, face in the comics and he's a villain that everybody's been waiting to see on the, um, the TV series and when I had heard 
that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was cast as Negan, I was so excited because he is one of my favorite actors. He is definitely, if I was to do a list of top underrated actors, which maybe I will on a top five rundown coming up soon, he would be in that top five because I love that guy and he does not get enough credit. I love what he did on Supernatural. I love the movies that he's been in, at least what he does in the movies. Um, and I could not wait to see him as Negan. Now I knew that he was only gonna be probably in one or two scenes in this season, but I was hoping that they were gonna leave us with this kick-ass finale to just leave me foaming at the mouth for season seven. And I, you know, I liked the story with the hilltop and everything like that that they built up through the last season and they were kind of taking out the saviors um, the last half of this season. And this finale absolutely infuriated me. Not that I'm the only one, because a lot of people are infuriated about this, but before I sat down for this finale, I remember turning to Holly and I said, I really hope to God that they are not going to dick tease us and not show us who gets killed, because that will be the absolute most pussy way to end this season, and it'll totally fuck up everything that they've built up for. And the finale started, and guess what happens? When that screen faded to black, and you did not know who got killed, I was ready to just write this show off completely. If Jeffrey Dean Morgan was not playing Negan, I would write this show off completely, assuming that Holly did not, would not drag me in the living room to watch it with her because she loves this show. And the final scene in the finale with Negan was so damn good and was so scary and so suspenseful and so heart-pounding that they wasted all of that for a cheap cliffhanger. This is the only show that I watch that blackmails its audience into coming back for the following season. Very few people, I believe, even the ones who, you know, there, there's a certain audience with The Walking Dead that love it no matter what, but the ones that are, that are capable of being critical of it. I feel like a lot of people would have written this show off, but they feel blackmailed to come back for the following seasons. And they've done this at least two or three seasons. They did it with The Governor. They did it with season four when they arrived at Terminus. They kind of did it last season, but that was like a, a small cliffhanger. You know, they wrapped up the season last year. And this season is one of the worst cliffhangers I've ever seen in a TV show ever. There's a right way to do a cliffhanger. There's a wrong way to do a cliffhanger. And this is the definition of the wrong way. A cliffhanger is supposed to wrap up the story of the season but give you enough feelers or an oh shit moment that latches you by the throat and you cannot wait to see the following season. It's not supposed to chop off the climax of your season and then everybody has to wait four to five months and is forced to come back to your premiere to give it extreme ratings to get the answer that they've been waiting 16 fucking episodes for. So. If you're a diehard Walking Dead fan, you already own this, but if you're not a Walking Dead fan and you're trying to get into the show, definitely skip this because this is an infuriating fucking season. One thing good that I will say about this release though is that the, uh, the scene that I was talking about with Negan is very rated R in the Blu-ray and the DVD release. They had a cut and I'm sure they're gonna do it all next season too because Negan's a very profane character. They recut that entire scene where Negan is more like he is in the comics. It's a little bit, you know, no pun intended, comical, because he literally, he puts cuss words where they shouldn't be, but that's just who the character is. You know, he says fuck about 18 times in one sentence. But I like the scene a lot more 
in the Blu-ray release. That's the only thing that I've watched since I bought this is that I wanted to see that rated R scene. So it's worth checking out for that, but you can find that probably online. So skip this. Sorry, I went on for that way too long. Moving on to something that should definitely get your guys' attention is Orphan Black Season 4. Now, if you have not started watching Orphan Black, this is a very easy show to binge. This is one of the most unique shows out there. It's from the BBC series, and it basically is, to kind of give an idea for those that don't know this show, it is about this woman, Sarah, who is played by Tatiana Maslany and she sees this woman about to kill herself in the pilot and the woman turns around right before she does and she looks identical to her then she kills herself and you know that's just the opening scene so that's not a spoiler but basically what this show is about is that girl sarah finds out that she is one of numerous clones and the basic idea of season four is that you introduce this villain called brightborn so you have all these different government organizations in the first three seasons. You had the male clones in season three that were introduced, and this season introduces this company that basically is trying to genetically perfect infants. So they inject people with a certain, like it's like a little parasite basically that goes into their jaw, and there's some other kind of crazy things that it's hard to explain unless you watch the show. But basically they're trying to make it where infants come out, they don't have any defects, they don't have any, you know, no flaws and it starts it has ties to the uh, the whole setup with why these clones are created now this is a damn good show and the main reason why this is damn good is because of tatiana maslani she is so snubbed by the emmys for her work in this show she plays like nine different characters in this show and every single character every one of her clones has a different accent, they have a different mannerism, they have their own different little quirks, different ways that they talk to each other. None of them are copies of each other. And it's absolutely amazing to watch. And this is something like, me and Holly started watching season one because I bought all these seasons because I knew I would like the show, just hadn't had a chance to get around to it. And we literally watched season one through season four in like a month. So this is a phenomenal show. Season four, absolute buy, especially if you've seen the first three seasons. If you have not seen the first three seasons of Orphan Black, go out and buy them because they're like 10 bucks. They're very cheap. Um, so definitely go check out Orphan Black, absolute buy. Two more guys. We got Arrow season four. Now again, for those that were following me in my audio podcast days and my Comic-Con recap when I was talking about Arrow season five, I shared a lot of my very rant-worthy um, thoughts on the show Arrow, especially season four. Arrow is a show that I got into right before season two aired. I binge-watched season one, and I loved it. You know, I wasn't expecting it to be so dark and gritty and a superhero that, like, literally murders everybody that he goes after. And I loved the whole way that they intercut this um, the past with his time on the island with the present. I loved season one. Season two came out and topped everything that was in season one. Yeah, Deathstroke is the main villain. Season two of Arrow is one of the best seasons of TV you can watch. Then season three came. Season three introduced Ra's al Ghul as the villain. And it also killed off a major character and tried to replace her with her sister. And the only explanation for her being able to match her fighting is that she took a few boxing lessons, which I won't get into all that. <laughs> but uh, that's when the show started to get stupid. 
the villain wasn't nearly as interesting. The flashbacks were not even close to being nearly as interesting. Everything was conveniently written. Seems like every other person that Oliver meets now, he tells his secret identity to. And I was hoping that, you know, the first half of season three, I was still somewhat on board. The last half, I was almost ready to give up on the show. And then I saw some pictures of, you know, he's going to be the actual green arrow now because they just called him the arrow in season one through three. And I was interested enough to how they were going to kind of reboot this show because that's how they were talking about this show. Oh, we're going to make up for season three. We're going to bring it back to its roots. We're going to try to, re you know, bring it back to what everybody loves. No more of the same of season three season four starts out and the first episode has so much cheese in it that it tells you everything you need to know about season four there's a line where like whenever oliver used to kill people he used to say you failed this city and the season opens up with him telling his girlfriend when she makes him an omelet you failed this omelet and i was like seriously and then they have this newscast where he announces himself as the Green Arrow. And everybody knows him as the Arrow. So like, the Arrow's on TV, the Arrow's on TV. And he's like, you know, he's got his little voice modulator. And he's like, you know, I, I failed you before, so I must become something different. So now I will become the Green Arrow. And I was like, dude, this writing is horrible. This season's worse than season three. And I pray that they turn this shit around for season five because I really do not want to abandon Arrow, especially because I love The Flash so much. And now they're getting so many good shows on the CW that they're all kind of inter interconnected. And I don't want to be out of the loop on what's going on with Arrow for the episodes that are crossovers. But this season was an absolute chore to get through. A chore. It doesn't help that this is uh, aired the same time as The Flash because you get to watch this shit and then one or two nights later you watch The Flash and you see something that's actually worth watching. So Arrow is a show that's really disappointing me. Definitely skip this. I mean, if, you're a, if you want to get into Arrow, absolutely watch the first two seasons and hopefully I can recommend season five as like a good return to your roots, but just everything that they're doing with the direction of this show is driving me nuts. I don't like the writing, it's corny, it's cheesy, it's lost all of its edge, the flashbacks are not interesting anymore, the team is getting ridiculously huge, the whole mystery of Oliver is gone now. So, I won't rant on this any longer, but skip Arrow Season 4. Last one, guys, we got Season 6 of Shameless. If you are not watching Shameless, I believe this is on Showtime. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's on Showtime. This is the best comedy series that's on TV right now. This was, I believe it was a BBC series. If not, it, it was a British show if it wasn't on the BBC. And this is like the American remake version of that show. And this show follows the family called the Gallaghers. They live in Chicago in like the, the hood version of, or the hood section of Chicago, like the slums. And you've got Fiona, who's the oldest sister. She basically is the mom taking care of all these kids. And, you know, they're not so much kids anymore by the sixth season, but it's the basic setup of the show. And William H. Macy plays the deadbeat dad of Frank. He's a drunk. He's an idiot. He's, you know, he's belligerent. He just falls asleep on the street. He's a bum, basically. And season six is one of the best seasons of this show. I still think season four is the best. Season five was a slight dip for me. Uh, season six kind of brought it back up. And this season basically has... The storyline of 
you got Fiona who's continuing to her downward spiral. She was this character that you were totally on board for and you were totally on her side the first three and a half seasons. And then she makes a lot of decisions in season four that start to reduce her, her sympathy, basically. You start to view her as a, a moron and she's starting to slowly become frank. And her storyline is in this is, you know, she's still dealing with the aftermath of her little bullshit marriage from season five. She's dating her boss now. So she kind of has that, that love triangle somewhat. She's got a lot of turmoil with Debbie, who is pregnant now. So she wants to support her sister, but at the same time, she does not support the baby. So there's a lot of episodes with her kind of trying to convince her to have an abortion. And Debbie's hard nose that she's going to have the baby. There's a lot of great scenes with them. You've got Lip, who's in college still. And he's got a great storyline in this season where his girlfriend, who's like his professor from last season, is... You know, there's like a, after, uh, a downward aftermath with that relationship and one of his ex-girlfriends comes back, which is one of the best things about this show, which I need to say, is that this show does great at bringing back characters from past seasons and not making it feel forced. You know, they'll bring back characters you haven't seen for two, three seasons. They'll inject them into a scene or two or maybe even one episode or two and it always feels relevant to the story. It doesn't just feel like, hey guys, remember her? Um, they come in, they serve their purpose, it's a nice callback to see these characters, and then they leave and the story continues, and I love the way they do that in this show. Um, Kevin, Lip and Kevin are probably my two favorite characters, but Kevin's story is absolutely hilarious in this. You've got Veronica who's starting to develop this kind of lesbian relationship with Svetlana, who's kind of their, their partner at the bar and their nanny, and you've got Kevin who's kind of trying to act like he doesn't like it, but at the same time it like really turns him on. And you know, he's hilarious. And every season he's hilarious. But in this season, he's got some great scenes. You've got um, uh, Ian, which is one of my complaints. Ian and Frank in this season are kind of the, the short end of the stick. You know, Frank is starting to have less and less to do in this show. He just kind of shows up to be Frank for a couple episodes. And even though he has some good scenes towards the end, he just kind of he's kind of the weak link, link in the storyline right now. And Ian is a close second. Because it seems like, with the exception of when they were trying to really ramp up his um, his sickness with, you know, like the bipolar disorder, his storyline every season just seems like relationship struggles. You know, for the first couple of seasons, he was struggling with his homosexuality, and that was all they could do with him. And then the season, whenever they started to have, where him and his boyfriend, who would not admit that he was gay to anybody, where he was starting to make him admit that he was gay, like that whole season and that whole storyline was fascinating. And I forget the guy who plays his boyfriend who's in prison in this season. He does a great job at conveying that whole like inner turmoil. So I miss him because he's not in this season for very much. But this season with Ian is just about him not having his boyfriend around and starting to kind of have feelers out there for other men. And it's just, that's all he gets to do in this season. And it's very aggravating for me because he's a very good character. He's a phenomenal actor. For those of you who've seen him on Gotham, you know he's a phenomenal actor. And they just don't give him enough to do. Now, Carl is another character who actually kind of ramps up his storyline in this season. And he usually does not get a whole lot to do aside from just be a belligerent little asshole and blow things up. But this season, he gets out of juvie. 
he starts having like a little bit of a crime ring. I think it was either the last half of last season or maybe that was the first half of this season. But he has this relationship with this guy that he became friends with in prison. And it's a very slow build story with him. But you know eventually something's going to go wrong with this relationship. And I'm not going to spoil what happens, but the episode where this guy that he's friends with in prison kind of explodes is one of the most riveting scenes that's ever been in this show. Like, this show is a comedy, but it has some really dark, gritty moments once in a while. So, like I said, this is a great season from a great show. If you have not seen Shameless, just like I said with Orphan Black, the seasons are very cheap. You could probably get the first three or four seasons for 15 bucks each. So definitely go watch that. They probably are on Netflix or Amazon Instant Video if you want to check it out there. But absolutely go and buy this if you're a fan of the show. Season 6 is great. Whew, that was a lot. So that is my second episode of Off the Shelves, guys. Hope you enjoyed this. If you like these shows, please let me know in the comment sections below. If you want them to be longer, shorter, if there's some things that you want to see me do, absolutely let me know in the comments because I'm here to entertain you all. So please like and subscribe and share this video to help me out. Uh, like I said, if you like this video, leave your comments in the comment section below on any of these titles that I just discussed, or if you want some titles that I, maybe I did not get to for this month. There is a couple of titles I left off because I have not got a chance to watch them all the way, and I don't want to give a half-assed review of it if it's not, you know, I haven't watched the whole thing. So, like I said, I'm going to try to make this a little bit more of a regular show and not have such a long span between them, but it all depends on what gets released, guys. So, once again, please like, subscribe, and share. And if you like this show, let me know in the comment section and come back to see me again on Off the Shelves.